Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. We're sitting in the yoga room today, nestled in many cushions because it's absolutely lashing it down outside. So it feels warm and cosy in here. So pull up a cushion, handing you a cup of tea and let us begin. So we're having another dive into the wonderful world of Lao Tzu again today. Our mate, our good friend, good friend and advisor. Somebody who likes to tease our brains, make <laughs> us think, make us experience things. So today we are having a look at chapter 76. And we thought it'd be quite interesting to read out two translations today because they, they do have slightly different flavours, which I think would be good to examine both of them. So let's start off by reading from the, the normal translation that we use and then we'll go straight on to the next one and then we'll have a little bit of talk about what Lao Tzu might have been thinking that day when he popped out this little pearl of wisdom. What's well, the translation that we regularly use, which is the Elements Books um, issue? And the translators are Man Ho Kwok, Martin Palmer and Jay Ramsey, just so that they are properly accredited. And so this is that one. Chapter 76. When a body is alive, it is soft and supple. It is cold and rigid when it dies. When plants are alive, they are tender and trailing and burnt and brittle when they're dead. What's iron hard is what is dead then, and what is fluid and sensuous and rippling is alive. And that is why a huge army with all its strength and complacency will be defeated, like a great tree axed down. Everything hard and strong will come down, and everything soft shall rise, shall overcome. And as Anna said, for, for interest as much as anything else, but also to see that we are in this, uh, this position of interpretation, of the necessity of interpretation in life, really. So I'm going to once again refer to the translation of Victor H. Meyer, which I say is, is the translation of a, a recently discovered manuscript thought to be one of the most authentic, whatever that means, uh, uh, manuscripts of the, the Dao Dao Ching. It was discovered, I think, in the 60s or the 70s. In that version, this chapter 76 is chapter 41. <laughs> okay, chapter 76. Human beings are soft and supple when alive, stiff and straight when dead. The myriad creatures, the grasses and trees are soft and fragile when alive dry and withered when dead. Therefore it is said the rigid person is the disciple of death. The soft, supple and delicate are lovers of life. An army that is inflexible will not conquer. A tree that is inflexible will snap. The unyielding and mighty shall be brought low. The soft, supple and delicate will be set above. 
think I like the second one better. Yeah. It seems to express it in a way which makes more sense to me anyway. Mm. It's almost like in the second one, it's like you, you, you barely need any sort of commentary to go with it because it just <laughs> it just expresses it so much better. Yeah, it is rather nice, actually. actually. Yeah. It's, got, it's got like a sort of um, a concision to it, which I kind of appreciate. But the, the sentiment... Mm. Of, of this one is perhaps one of the items of dearest understanding that's, that's that's found its way into a kind of general general understanding you know this 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 is an idea that is now sort of widely understood no doubt due to the popularity of like, martial arts for instance you know tai chi and so on which are attempts to translate this principle across into a practical reality you know the practical reality of needing self-defense for instance and it's uh, it's a sentiment that that we've met a few times throughout the text um, which gives rise to the what the so-called soft martial arts you know the, the martial arts where, where there's a great emphasis on suppleness suppleness of movement suppleness of thought uh, supple, suppleness of emotional response suppleness and flexibility in being in the world in, in all manner of things all manner of activities that we might do family life gardening <laughs> you know Politics. There's, there's, there's no sphere of life where we can't kind of apply this this insight. Also, Lao Tzu, as usual, is recommending something to us, you know, as as, as a way of being. And it, it it again, it's always as well as being a political advice and advice about about conduct and an expression of ideals about social structures and social organisation. It's also a meditation instruction. These are the genius of Lao Tzu, his, his, his ability to compound all of these meanings into, into single poetic principles. This is the principle that the soft will eventually overcome the hard. The hard is the way of death. The soft is the, is the way of life. So it's a meditational instruction is, is perhaps what I'm going to run with whilst, as I say, being alert to it, the application of this to all, all manner of practicalities in life. And the whole thing is based on, again, the Deris thing of observation of the natural world as well as observation of ourselves, of our phenomenal field, of our lived ex- the flow of our lived experience, which, of course, is a part of and parcel of the natural world it's not excluded from the natural world so there's a massive amount of observation goes into distilling the, these principles which is why Deism was able to develop science if, you know, based on observation uh, in advance of, of the West by centuries it's just a principle. It's a, it's a kind of you know, well. Let it, let's pay attention to experience. Let's pay attention to what we see around us and inside us, and what we hear and what we feel. So, this is the the, the derest mode of inquiry, and it's a good one, I have to say, because it doesn't require very much dogma of us. 
which I kind of generally think is kind of a, a bad thing because dogma is always open to destruction. And you could say that dogma actually is the kind of rigidity which is here being criticised. The rigid person is the disciple of death. The most rigid person is the dogmatic person. Now dog, dogma yeah. is actually a, a technical term in theology, really, which, which says that those articles of faith which, which are set in stone and cannot be questioned, we can build on them and we can ask questions of, of the structures that we build upon them, but, but they act as a foundation and therefore cannot be touched. You do not criticise them. You don't even think about criticising them. It's dogma. That's how it is. And that, 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 that's the bit where inquiry cannot reach. This is my objection to organised religion, is that this is precisely what it does to thought. It attempts to police thought by placing a, a death-orientated rigidity at the core of its, of its being, of its, of its thought structure, of its feeling structure, which is dogma. Yeah. And of course, we get, we get the same thing in politics, we get the same thing in, in notions of social organisation. I mean, you know, Mark Fisher spoke about capitalist realism uh, following um, uh, Frederick Jamison uh, with, with his book, you know, Capitalist Realism. You know, the, uh, and the, the point there that Fisher made was that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. That's because cap capitalism, broadly understood, is dogmatically asserted everywhere on the planet by the powerful people that can impose their will on the planet, as though it was untouchable. And if you understand that it's a dogma, you then understand that it's a death orientation. Lao Tzu tells us this, it's a death orientation. And it is, you know. I mean, coming a bit closer to home, And to, I don't know, the, the, the critical psychoanalysis of the Frankfurt School, can I put it like that? Somebody like Eric Fromm, who, who I speak about from time to time, uh, re really came up with a, a similar formulation, partly based on Freud's positing of a death instinct as opposed to a kind of a life instinct, which is Eros and Thanatos. Eros is life. The urge to reproduce, sexuality, the vitality and suppleness that all that implies. You know, that willingness to encounter life by being an animal, by being sexual, by being responsive to what is around one. Yeah. But that's by biophilia, but ne necrophilia is rigidity, death, refusal to change. And it has a certain flavour and an order about it, and you can see it in some of our kind of senior politicians. You feel as though you feel as though they don't have an authentic atom in their in their being, but they they do. They act. They give a good performance of it. But if you know what it is, you can see straight through it, and it's kind of horrifying, and it's very stiff and rigid, and there's a sort of dusty smell about it, a dusty order, a kind of. I know. Now these are subjective impressions and. But nevertheless, it's, 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 it's what I get, you know, as, as one manoeuvres through life <laughs> that some people do get so kind of fossilised and, and stuck and it, usually in something dogmatic and it becomes a rigidity which then, it then just strangles, strangles their being, you know. 
and no, no, no joy then becomes possible or only kind of cheap cheap joy or joy at a very very great cost this is the, the other side you know um, you can get some joy but you have to entertain some pretty destructive habits to get to get it you know so there's all there's all of this so I mean, get you have this kind of uh, got this Eric from Freud derived idea of like biophilia and necrophilia as basic life orientations, you know. Which, to my mind, come down to uh, how, how well do you recognise how wonderful it is actually to be flexible spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, yeah, and in terms of various various commitments, you know that that. It's just a bad crack for you personally, just to be too rigid. I mean, I think by the same token that one could be too fluid. <laughs> yeah. You know, that there's a certain certain kind of stability needed in in this in this mix. But it, but life life can provide that in the the fact that you're a body. You know, there's there's well yeah there's there's a constraint on us. That's again ineluctable, and it, that it is where there is something ineluctable, an ineluctable constraint on us. There. We're embodied, embodied creatures, you know, animals. It's a good part of our being, you know. And um, but nevertheless, there's a recognition that that being is itself flexible and fluid in the transitions from birth to to, to babyhood, to toddlerhood, to to childhood, to adolescence, to young adult, you know, and through right the way through. And if you're lucky enough to get to a ripe old age, then then. The, the the end of that pro that particular instance of the life process that little interval in the life process that spark in the great shower of sparks which is life that that itself is is, is the flexibility and the fluidity I mean what what this all drives back to me is is the real deep deep uh, um, question right at the bottom of this is is, is about the nature of reality you know is, is it as now platonists asserted like completely fossilized and static or parmenides or somebody like that you know the the, the ultimate the, the ultimate uh the ultimate nature of existence is that it's the really really is just completely static and unchanging over and against Heraclitus, you cannot step in the same river twice pantarei everything flows or the buddha all is impermanent this is the same doctrine it's the same vision it's not a dogma, though. It's a vision. It can't even be a dogma because if it was a dogma, it would subvert itself. You know, you can't, you you can't, without self self reference and paradox, make a dogma out of out of the observation that the universe is always in motion, including ourselves, and that's Buddha, Heraclitus, Lao Tzu, Whitehead, Nietzsche. These are the, the, the great philosophers of process. But also Marx and Freud were also process philosophers. They could see that things are flowing. That we have, that we have systems and processes rather than fossilised things sort of bouncing off each other in a very mechanical kind of way. So I think there's a, there's a lot in there. Uh, you know, and I said it applies to every every aspect of life, and it de it derives from a certain orientation to life, which is one that sees life as and, and existence itself as as ultimately dynamic rather than metaphysically static, and that that uh, out of that understanding comes 
as I said, many, many orientations to life. Uh, um, but if you're running with the, the notion that reality flows, you're also running, you're also running with an orientation of biophilia, love of life, as opposed to the necrophilia, which lies at the heart actually of all of our current political systems. It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that, 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 that our great and our good and our political system culminated in, in the development of huge amounts of destructive weapons, which are now actually kind of capable of pretty well eliminating civilised life, at least civilised life, from the planet. So that is our, that is our achievement. That is what all our collect, collective effort went into, and our money and our, our energy and the, the focus of our governments, the people we put in charge. But their best effort was to figure out how to annihilate our species. So that, that, to my mind, is without any shadow of a doubt and without any rhetoric whatsoever or any hyperbole whatsoever is necrophilia. It's, a, it's the love of death. It's the, it's the brittle, stiff, withered, rigid, Discipleship of death, and the, the I mean the counter to it on the individual level is, is that flexibility, that fluidity, that life love that that he that he alludes to, and to conduct your life along those lines. So your lodestone, I recommend it, and making it the the, the source out of which. All of your activities in life are sustained you know, in that meditation on on life, on livingness, and the living quality, which is supple and flexible and adaptable, which we're going to need. <laughs> and I think it's worth realising that there are ramifications here for everything, for politics, for social organisation, for personal orientation to the fact that one finds oneself alive, and so on. Yeah, I really like that one. It's got a lot of good things to say and make us think about. So I hope you like that, everybody. I hope it was useful to you. And we definitely are going to get round to doing some live interactional things with Pete we we <laughs> haven't forgotten I know we've mentioned it a few times and and few people have contacted us going oh oh that sounds good when is it and we haven't quite decided what we're going to do and when yet but it is coming so enjoy the anticipation for a yeah. little while longer until but, we finally yeah. uh, get get ourselves together to do it well we're, we're approaching it with with, with, with uh, great thought and attention uh, and, and suppleness and flexibility that's right yeah because after all, a tree that is inflexible will snap. Yes, I need the moment needs to be right. The moment is coming. I can feel it in the air. Yeah, I can see oh. the I can see the dust cloud on the horizon as it, as it gallops towards <laughs> as it us. Gallops then. towards us. Yeah, it'll be here sooner than sooner than we can imagine. All right then, folks. I hope yeah. you're all doing okay, and we will speak to you again soon. Make knowledge great again.